Um, Pastor Mike texted us this morning, and I always love it because he always goes, have fun. And you know what? It just relieves a lot of pressure when you have a pastor who wants us to have fun. Um, it doesn't get better than that. So I'm Pastor Vicki. In case you don't know me, I'm super glad that you guys are all here this morning. Well, today we are going to be talking about deal breakers. And um, over the 4th of July, I, Sid and I were in Texas. My brother and sister-in-law were attending a wedding that was out of state. And so Sid and I went down to be with my mom and dad while they were gone. And when I was in Texas, I went to church with my mom. Um, and their pastor spoke on a Bible story that I'm going to share today. And it really impacted me um, it's an account of an actual event, and we have heard this story a million times. Um, but we know that God's word is alive, and it's active, and that he can breathe life into old stories to touch us in a new way. And so the account that we're going to look at today, it's kind of slippery. I should have some, like, <laughs> Velcro or something. Okay, if I just go flying, I'm going to apologize up front. So, all right. But the account that we're going to look at today is the story of the rich young ruler. And it's recorded three times in the New Testament. So that tells us that this is a story that is an account that's important to God because he wants us to get it because he repeated it three times. And so today we are going to read from Mark 10, 17 through 27, but it's also found in Matthew 19 and Luke 18. And so if you could, if you could stand for the reading of God's word. Okay. Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Whoop. Whoop. <laughs> and then verse 20. Um, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all those things I have kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything that you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then, come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went, went away sad, because he had great wealth. You can be seated. Okay, now to my next one here. So who is this guy? He's somebody who tracks Jesus down just as he's ready to go out of town. And then he falls down at Jesus' feet. He seems very sincere. He's eager. He's even, like, intense. He's maybe even a little desperate. And we know just from our story that he is 
very rich. And we know from the other accounts in scripture that he is young and he is a ruler. He's in some sort of leadership position. He's Jewish and he has an understanding of the Jewish law because he was concerned about keeping it. And he had since he was a young child. And we know that um, he knows that Jesus is the teacher of the Jewish faith. So that's what we know about him. Now, from the outside, this guy has it all going on. He's young, he's rich, he's a leader. And I'm thinking, I would take him home to meet my mom. <laughs> you know, she would probably like him. He's got it all going. But, you know, he knows there's something in his heart that's missing. He might be rich and young, he might have a leadership position, but there's something missing in his life. And he tracks Jesus down, he falls at his feet, and he doesn't care who sees him. He doesn't come at night like some of the other um, Jewish leaders did. He's not ashamed, he comes right where everybody can see him. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now we would say, what do I got to do to be saved? But we need to remember that at this point of time in scripture, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. And so there's, they're kind of limited in their understanding of salvation. But we do know this man is on a spiritual quest. He's intense and he's searching. But, you know, Jesus, kind of in typical fashion, he doesn't answer the man's question, but he asks him a question. And he says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. Now, is Jesus implying that he's not good? No. (laughs) Actually, the opposite. What he is saying, what he's asking this man is, do you know who I am? The young ruler was right. Jesus is good because Jesus is God, and only God is good. And Jesus is trying to get this man to think. And Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. You're a good Jewish boy. And Jesus recites 10 Um, Some of the Ten Commandments, the ones he recites are, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, and honor your father and mother. And so Jesus selects some of the Ten Commandments. And why does he only recite these? Well, in old paintings um, where Moses is holding the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are usually arranged this way, where there's four on the left-hand side and there's six on the right-hand side. And the ones that Jesus listed were from the right-hand side. Why is that? Why would he just quote those and not the other ones? Well, the ones that are on the um, right-hand side are ones that deal with our external behavior, our behavior toward others. It's external behavior that everybody can see. And so these are the ones that Jesus quotes to the guy. And you know what? 
the guy is feeling pretty good about himself. Because it's like, whoa, I've kept all of those. I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm a good person. I've never done any of those things. And, you know, so then here's me. It's like, really, buddy? You never stole any money out of your mom's purse? You never lied? I don't know, maybe he didn't. You always treat your mom and dad with respect? Are you sure? But this young ruler is telling Jesus how good he is. And I'm sitting there thinking, would I do that if I was facing Jesus? Would I be telling him how good I am? It's like, no. Because, you know, he knows our heart. But this guy is pretty secure. He's pretty sure that he's good. His external behavior is pretty good. And I love what the next verse says. It says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And you know, when Jesus looks at us, he loves us even when we think we're perfect, even when we're mixed up, even when we're messing up. Jesus looks at us and he loves us. And Jesus' attitude toward this young man is love and compassion. And Jesus says to him, you know what? There's one thing that you lack. You need to go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then after that, come follow me. And at this Yay. Okay. At this, the man's response is, whoa, wait a minute. Did I hear you right? Go sell everything you have and come give it to the poor and then come follow you? Um, so the man's face fell because it's just like, wait a minute. And, you know, and that is where we're going to go back. We're going to look at our other tablet of the Ten Commandments. That's where Jesus is going to now kind of refer more to that left-hand side of the commandments. And those are the ones that deal with our relationship with God. And does anybody know what the first one on that list is? Anyone want to venture? <laughs> I had to look them up. I'll be really honest. I'm not going to lie to you. The very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is that you shall have no other gods before me. Nothing else comes before God. The second one is you shall not make any graven images, which means we're not to worship things. Okay? The fourth one is you shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We don't use Jesus' name recklessly. When we speak his name, it is with holiness and reverence. And then the fourth one is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We need to give God the time and the attention and the honor that he deserves. And so it's almost as though by Jesus quoting the external behavior commandments that he's in a subtle way showing this man where his greatest lack is. He's keeping the external behavior but, you know, the guy's heart is somewhere else. And this man is very wealthy, and that's where his heart was, in his wealth. 
And so the question is, you know, do I have your whole heart? That's really what he's asking this guy. The man, Jesus asked the man to sell everything he has, give it to the poor, come follow him. And the man is rich, and this guy is thinking, wow. So let's talk for a minute. Does God have a thing against rich people? No. And he doesn't. Um, not necessarily, because in the Bible, there are rich people who served the Lord. Some examples, Abraham was a very wealthy man. Isaac was very wealthy. He inherited his dad's wealth. Um, there's King David. He was very wealthy. And then there's the story of Boaz. He was a wealthy farmer. He was, God had blessed his business. And then there's Job, was a very wealthy man. There is Joseph of Arimathea. Do you guys know who he is? He's the guy who, when Jesus died on the cross, he was a wealthy man who donated the tomb that Jesus was buried in. He donated it. Um, and then there are the rich, rich women who supported Jesus' ministry with their wealth. So Jesus doesn't necessarily have things against rich people. So then, does that mean Jesus doesn't want us to have stuff? Because I like stuff. Anyone else out there like stuff? I like stuff. No, because um, God blesses us. He blesses us with homes. He blesses us with family. New homes, I hear. Yay. <laughs> he, um, he blesses us with children. He blesses us with relationships. So it's not that God doesn't want to bless us. Matter of fact, there are verses. I love this verse from Proverbs 10.22. It says, the blessings of the Lord bring wealth without painful toil from it. You know, when God blesses us, he just pours it out. And so it's not that he doesn't want us to have things. So that's not the issue. But the question here is not so much about wealth or blessing, but it's about who has your heart. It's not that he doesn't want us to have stuff, but does our stuff own us? And for this young man, his riches had his heart. And you know, for maybe some of us, and I have to fight this just like everybody else. Our home can kind of absorb us. Our cabins, our hobbies, our careers. For me, it's summer. <laughs> summer can absorb me because it's so short. And we feel like we have to pack it all in. So when I first heard this story, when I visited, or I mean, when I heard this sermon, it wasn't the first time. When I heard this sermon at my mom's church when I was in Texas, God really dealt with me about going through the external motions, my external behavior, but him not having my whole heart. And at the time, we'd been really busy. I was trying to get work done before you go out of town. You know how that is. Um, I was trying to get all my garden planted and weeded so it'd be good while we were gone. I was trying to make sure my work was done for church and all my bases were covered. Everything I was responsible for was taken care of. And I was doing Jesus-y things, but I wasn't spending real time 
with God. And you know, sometimes we get in that survival mode. I'm taking care of my stuff, but my stuff was taking priority over how I was caring for my relationship with the Lord. And so my question is, how's your relationship with the Lord? Are you going through the motions? Are you doing external stuff that when, if someone were to look at you, they think you're doing fine, but your heart is far away from him? And you know, my answer is, God has love and compassion on us. And he draws us back. Matter of fact, this one verse that was going through my head this morning, and I didn't look it up, but it says that God's word is like an anchor for our soul. And if you think about what an anchor does, when you're out in the middle of the lake and you put down your anchor, you do that so that you stay in one place. And the wind and the waves may kind of blow you all over, but you stay anchored. That's why we go to church. It anchors us to God. That's why we read our Bibles. It keeps us connected to him. Wind and waves and life and busy, that's all part of life. But that's why we come to church, so that our heart stays connected to him. Well, now, to be honest, I was going to end my sermon right here, and I was done, and okay. Let's, you know, do the external behavior, but make sure that Jesus has our heart. Um, but I really felt impressed that God wanted us to just go a little deeper with this. So, um, so our guy started out happy, started out in disbelief, and he realized that, you know what, this is a deal breaker because what the Lord was asking for from him was something he just wasn't prepared to give. He went away sad. In one of the versions of, of scripture that I read it in, it said that he went away grieved. So he wasn't just sad about this. He was grieved to his spirit because he had great wealth. And this man encountered what I'm going to call a deal breaker. And that's when Jesus asks for something from us that we make a conscious decision to decide not to do. We make that decision and we say to Jesus, you're asking for too much from me. And I just can't do that. It's a deal breaker. Deal breakers are part of growing in our faith with the Lord. Deal breakers are a part of life in our walk. You know, life can have a way of dealing with our earthly affections. We may lose a job or a relationship, and God can put our career on hold, but deal breakers are when we make the decision. And we say to God, hands off of that. That one's still mine. We make the decision, and we say, enough is enough. We're not doing that. And so I'm going to share some deal breaker moments from my life. Um, just to make you feel at ease that, yes, I have deal breakers too. Um, when I was in junior high, I had grown up, my mom is a Christian, I'd grown up going to church. We went to church, we went to Sunday school, we went on Wednesday nights, we went to everything. And I did it faithfully, and I was happy to go to church. But when I hit junior high, that's kind of when you start to go, hmm, do I really believe this? Um, hmm. Okay, and it starts 
to go from you're doing it, because that's just what you do, to where you start to think, do I really believe this? And I felt like the Lord brought me to a place where I had to choose, was this my mom's faith, or was it my faith? And my deal breaker with the Lord, as it probably is for bajillions of people, is I was convinced that if I gave my whole heart to the Lord, if I gave him full control of all of who I was, that he was going to make me be a missionary in Africa, and I was going to have to eat bugs. That was my big deal breaker. Did any of you ever have that? No? Nobody's going to admit it. That was my deal breaker. And it's like, I, I don't know, God, because I don't really want to live in Africa. And, you know, I, I just... I'm just convinced. Well, you know, I got to the point where, fine, wherever you take me, Lord, whatever you want, it's yours. And if it means we go live in Africa, I'm sure it'll be fine. But I was in junior high when that deal breaker came up and I had to make the conscious choice. Does God get my whole heart? Does he get all of me? And I made that decision in junior high. So now we're going to fast forward a few years, and now we're in high school. And I was dating somebody who wasn't saved. It was Sid. <laughs> we were 16 at the time, and I know you guys, he had like a ton of blonde hair. <laughs> he just did. And, you know, Sid wasn't a believer. Um, and I was reading my Bible one day, and it said that as a believer, you weren't to be yoked with an unbeliever. You know, I grew up in a family where my mom was saved and my dad wasn't. I knew what it was like to live in a split household. And it was kind of like the Lord just kept bringing that verse up to me. Don't be yoked with an unbeliever. And I had to make the call. I liked Sid. But you know what? He wasn't lining up with God's word. And so, okay. This was my deal breaker. Okay, Lord, you're right. This is what your word says. And, I, you know, I sat down with Sid, and it's like, you're not a believer, and this is what God's word says. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, God had been preparing his heart. He started coming to church with me. He got saved. And well, the rest is history. <laughs> what can I say? But I made the choice. Am I going to believe God and what his word says? You know, because you think, like, if I let this guy go, is there going to be anyone else? He's a nice guy. But will there be the right one? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust what his word says? So then I'm going to share just one more deal breaker. And for me, this was a little more recent. Um, it was from 2012, and uh, Sid and I have two kids. Our son, Ian, um, was in the Army, and he uh, was, with, he was uh, stationed in Afghanistan in 2012. And I'm thinking, awesome, he's at the end, edge of the border, nothing's going to go on, he's just going to bide his time in the desert and come home. And nothing could have been further from the truth. They were in combat every day. And you would get these random messages. It's like, I love you, Mom. 
it's pretty much kind of the feeling, it's been good to know you. You know, you're never going to hear from me again. And like fear would just grip me. I would scan the news to watch what's going on, you know, or what. And I wasn't sleeping at night. I was just terrified. This is a deal breaker. I mean, God, it's, it's one thing if you want to mess with my life, but don't touch my kids because those are mine. And you know what? Guess what? Deal breaker, your kids aren't yours. They belong to the Lord. And for me, probably of any deal breaker I've ever had to deal with with the Lord, this was the hardest one. Because for whatever reason, I thought the tighter I held on, the safer he would be. And that's not the case. And in the end, I had to come to the terms with the fact that the Lord says, he's mine, his life is mine, and you're just going to have to trust me. And you know, I felt like the Lord told me that he would always be with Ian when he was in Afghanistan, that he would be with him, but he never told me that he would be safe. He never said that, but he said, I'll always be with him. It's like, okay, well, could you be a little more specific? No. And, but eventually, it was kind of like I had to come to the point where, okay, Lord, he's yours. If I have him for a day more or two days more or whatever, he's yours. And I had to let him go. You know, I'm sure that that's not the end of the deal breakers in my life. Because there will always be new challenges and new opportunities. Satan is really good for putting those opportunities out there by saying, do you want to walk away from God and come over to my side? No, I don't. But we have to make those decisions. We have to have a conscious decision where I'm going to trust the Lord. He's going to have first place in my heart and in my life. And it's part of growing up and maturing. And so let's go back to our young man. Let's see where he's at. So we're going to go back to our original picture of our guy. You know, he started out looking desperate because he was on a journey to find God. He was desperate. He was on a spiritual journey. And now here he is. He's desperate again, but this time for a totally different reason. He's desperate and he's grieved because he realizes that this is going to cost him more than he's willing to give. And he makes that decision with his deal breaker that he's going to walk away from the Lord because it's just too much. And then, you know, it never really... You can read scripture a billion times over and you'll always find something new. I guess I never really noticed this, but Jesus doesn't chase this guy down. He just lets him go. But remember, Jesus loved him. And that's why he let him go. Jesus doesn't chase after him and say, well, if you just give part of your money, I'm sure that'll be good. The church will be happy to get that tithe. That's not what he says. Um, Because he knew that this was something that the young man had to deal with in his faith, or it would plague him the rest of his walk with the Lord. Jesus knew that it was more compassionate to deal with the root of the issue than to just kind of beat around the bush. You know, the church today 
kind of beats around the bush when it comes to sin because we're afraid to call sin, sin. We don't challenge root issues in lives, in my life. I don't like to challenge those root issues that hinder me and stop me from walking with the Lord. But when we don't deal with those root issues in our life or in the church's life, in our life, it hinders our walk. It could stop our walk with the Lord. And it also hinders our witness. You know, don't, don't forget there is a whole unsaved world that is watching us, watching how we live, watching what we say, watching if we live up to God's word. We want to come to Jesus on our own terms, but the only terms that he offers are his. And he doesn't negotiate a deal. But here's the thing. Jesus is offering us a deal of a lifetime. He's offering us forgiveness of our sins. He is offering to give us whatever we need to overcome this deal breaker that we may be facing. He's offering us eternal life and that constant promise that he will never leave us no matter what we face. Now, you know, the disciples had some deal breakers in there and whenever I'm facing a deal breaker, I always think of this verse and I, I didn't put it on the slide, but it's from John 6, 66 through 68. And it was a time when Jesus had spoken on a kind of a hard teaching about following him. And a lot of the people who had been following him walked away. They just left. And Jesus looked at his disciples, the 12 who had been his closest, and he asked them, do you guys want to walk away too? Do you want to go away? And then Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And you know, I feel like that sometimes when I've faced my deal breakers, God will say, Vicki, do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I do. But like Peter, but it's like, Lord, where would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You're my savior. Yeah, I want to go because this one's hard. But I'm going to believe in you and I'm going to trust you because you alone are my savior. And it's okay to talk scripture back to him. He doesn't care. He's like, yeah, I know you want to go, but, you know. And then another verse um, that I want to um, share, and again, it involves the disciples, and it's from Luke twenty-two thirty-five, And Jesus is talking to the disciples where he has sent them out, and he told them, don't take a coat, don't take any money, just go out and minister in my name. And Jesus asked them, he said, when I sent you without a purse, without a bag or without sandals, did you lack anything? And the disciples said, no, we lacked nothing. And I always come back to that one too when I feel like I'm having to do without because God's not answering me. If I really think about it, do I really lack? No, because God is always taking care of me. He's always provided what I needed. Um, was it always the way I wanted it? Not always. But was I taking care of it? Yeah, absolutely. I've never lacked anything in my following of the Lord. And so then that brings us back to our end question. 
that, I don't know, can you trust God with whatever deal breaker you're facing? And deal breakers are just what we do in our faith. Um, it doesn't mean we face a deal breaker every day, but you know, at different points in my walk with the Lord, he's asked for hard things. And it's been where I've had to make a conscious decision. I trust you, and I'm going to follow you on your terms. You know, and I, I'm just going to kind of share a little personal, this is my personal opinion. When God asks for something from us, he provides the grace for us to be able to obey. Um, when he puts his finger on a certain thing, it's because today is the day to deal with it because he's brought us to that point. And today's the day, and his grace is there. And if we choose not to deal with it, sometimes our heart gets harder. Our circumstances get messier. Our life might get way more complicated. And I've just learned from my own walk with the Lord that it's easier to deal with things when God brings it up because his grace is there. You know, Scripture doesn't really say what happened to this guy. We just know that he walked away. We don't know if he came back. There's speculation who it was in the Bible. We don't know. But I believe God pursues us. He pursues us till the end. And his grace is there. But this example is there for us to learn from so that we can make those changes and obey him. And so I'm just going to ask us some questions. Just first of all, are you doing things externally? You may look good, but you know in your heart you're missing. That missing part is Jesus. And it's super easy. You just ask him into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to come in and be your Lord and Savior. And then you just follow him. You just follow him. Are you doing external things, but you know God doesn't have your whole heart? You're kind of giving pieces. The Lord wants to be number one in your life. Can you let him come in? Can he come in and be Lord instead of just a visitor on Sunday morning? And then the last question is, your deal breakers, and those are the, the biggies. Is there a decision where you know God has been asking for something and you've been making a very conscious no answer? And I would just ask you, would you give the Lord an, a chance? Would you let him lead your life? Would you trust him in that deal breaker? And I can just tell you, you won't regret it. God will be with you and he'll guide you. And so let's just end in prayer. God, I just think of that verse, how you just looked at this young man and you loved him. And God, when you look down on us, your church, 
You just love us. Your heart toward us is full of love and compassion. And Jesus, you ache to just have your way in our lives. You want us so much to walk close with you. And so, Lord, we just open up our hearts. God, we just lay down all of those barriers, all of those no's that we've said. We just want to say yes to you. Yes, Lord, do whatever you want in our life. Yes, Lord, help me with that area of sin. Yes, Lord, let me trust you with my kids or with my situation. I don't want to hold anything back from you, Lord. God, we just invite you in. Come and be Lord of our lives. Amen.